Hi, my name is Barbara Wangoi. I'm from Nairobi, Kenya, and this episode is brought to you by MPW Memberships. Did you know that as a member of MPW, you get access to weekly community feedback on your tracks? This is an excellent resource if you're feeling stuck on how to move forward with your song and need a few pointers to help you finish more music. Get access to this feature and so many more using the link musicproductionforwomen.com slash membership. Uh, what am I saying? This is MPW, MPW, the podcast with your host, Zyla. Aria. Cool. A podcast about, about music production, production for the everyday musician, where we learn from experienced studio engineers and, and each other. Hello, everyone, and welcome to this episode of MPW, the podcast. I am your host, Zylo Aria, and today we are at the incredible Metropolis Studios. It's it's really gorgeous in here for anyone who hasn't been. And we are chatting to Matt Colton. So Matt Colton is a mastering engineer. He's won MPG Mastering Engineer of the Year. And the list of who he's worked with is literally endless. It's so incredible. Um, He's worked with Coldplay, Muse, Aphex Twin, James Blake, Fortet, Kanye West. Like literally it just goes on forever. So very excited to have Matt on this episode. So hey, Matt. How you doing? You all right? (laughs) Yeah, doing very well. So um, yeah, thanks so much for being here. Yeah, my pleasure. My pleasure. <laughs> yeah, we met for the first time, I think it was like 10 months ago now. Right. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, so I don't know if Matt knows this, but I, I was going through my um, the albums that I really like and uh, my favourite album of all time is Overgrown by James okay. Blake. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, uh, love that album. Like EP2 by um, FKA Twigs, love yeah. that as well. Yeah, it's amazing. And, yeah, just so such beautiful music, and and I kept seeing Matt's name, and I was like, I need to get in touch with you. So then I found Matt's email address, and then sent him an email, and I was like, you know what? If he gets back to me, that's great. If not, it's fine. And obviously, you're a very busy person. And then after a little while, I heard back, <laughs> yeah. and I, <laughs> it was so funny. I, I was just so excited. And I think I called my mum and then she was like, oh, I, I, I was saying, oh, I just, you know, got a message from Matt Colton, amazing master <laughs> engineer. And she's like, what? Also, what is a master yeah, engineer? Yeah. So yeah, I was like, okay, whatever. This is exciting. Yeah. So that was, that was great. And, um, it's very inspiring chat um, for me when was it? When, yeah, oh, good, yeah. I good. remember. I was like, I think yeah. I remember being really, really tired, <laughs> and so I, I was possibly not like at my most captivating or sparkly. Oh no! I mean, I I thought you were, and oh, okay. um, and this was at your old studio. Yeah, yeah. The one you started yes. as well. Yeah, Alchemy. Yeah, no, I remember leaving there and feeling super inspired. So, yeah, so then uh, I, I was very glad that you kindly were happy to be on this podcast. So, of course, today we're talking about your favourite topic or <laughs> what, what you know. Oh, <laughs> we can talk about that. I love cricket as well. <laughs> but, no, the, the other one, yeah, mastering. Yeah. And, um, you know, before we go into what that is, but, you know, kind of on that, I guess the the normal person in society doesn't really know what it is at all. And then even the people in the industry, it's, yeah, I feel like not many people completely understand what it is. So yeah. how did you end up being uh, a mastering engineer or getting into that? Um, and what was your path? So I, uh, you know, I was playing in bands when I was a kid and Really, the only career option that made any sense to me was sort of total rock stardom. But I kind of ran out of talent quite a long way before there. But, you know, I was playing drums, I was playing guitar. We just started programming, like, when I was about 16, kind of, you know, MIDI uh, had been around for a couple of years. And so, you know, that was quite a revelation to me that I didn't need to put a whole band together. I could literally actually just write all the parts and, and you know, MIDI could could play it all for me. That was, yeah. that was really cool. And so I did my levels at school and, you know, left school at the age of 18 and I decided to go to art college because I wanted to find kind of like-minded, you know, sort of musician friends and, and just sort of pursue music. And art was the only other thing that I loved. And also it looks 
relatively easy and, <laughs> yeah. uh, do you know what I mean, like very creative and all the rest of it. Yeah. So I did a year at art college. So I don't know if it's still the case now, but you had to do like a year sort of foundation course. You couldn't just go straight from like A-level and into like art degree course. You had okay. to do this, which is probably good. It's probably to filter out people like me that actually didn't really want to go and do art. You uh-huh. know, we were just kind of bumming around a little bit. So I did that and then, yeah, a year at art college was enough to convince me not to pursue art as a career, although it was, you know, one of the best years of my life. Mm. And so I was kind of bumming around. I was on the dole and, um, you know, spent about six months, you know, getting a bit down about life and not really knowing. I kind of knew what I wanted to do, but yeah. I'd had a, a, a sort of couple of opportunities, you know, possibly to pursue drumming a bit harder than I had playing drums. Uh-huh. And I'd kind of bottled both of them probably looking back, although at the time I, you know, I didn't necessarily see it as, you know, bottling it, if you know what I mean. Is that an English phrase? Because I don't know what that means. Oh, right. As in, um, <laughs> you know, there's a, a sort of a couple of tours I was asked to play on, you know, right. to, go and, to go and play drums, and I didn't do it. Okay. You know, and at the time, oh. I kind of it felt like they weren't the right option for me. But I think possibly looking back, I was just a bit young and a bit scared to, right. to kind of do that. Do you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. You know, it was so far out of my comfort zone that you know I kind of managed to not take those opportunities put it that way right so yeah probably is an English expression (laughs) my dad he was absolutely brilliant and and has been kind of absolutely brilliant in terms of sort of supporting me um kind of throughout my adult life in terms of you know always sort of backing my decisions but always being there with some kind of good knowledge and kind of helpful guidance when I've been willing to listen to other people because I'm quite very stubborn, don't always necessarily... I usually figure that I things that relate to me I probably know best because mm. I've thought about it a hell of a lot more than other people. Mm. But, of course, that sort of discounts the fact that sometimes someone else can see something from a different point of view and if you actually just listen to them, they might open your eyes to looking at something from another angle. My dad uh, just happened to phone one of his mates who ran the local radio station. Mm-hmm. And said, you know, my son's kind of bumming around and he wants to be a rock star. He really is only going to do something creative, mm. but he's kind of got no leads and nothing's happening. Sort of yeah. Thing. And uh, Howard, who was the, the name of the MD at the local radio station, said, well, we're actually looking for an intern uh, or what would now be called an intern yeah. to come and help write radio commercials. Does he want to come in and have a chat? So I went in having no interest in writing radio commercials but yeah. you know working in a radio station seemed better than signing on yeah and met this Aussie guy you know and like full-on ochre Aussie do you okay. know what I mean yeah, very yeah. very blunt very very funny <laughs> really really nice guy managed to rub a lot of people up the wrong way but me and him absolutely uh hit it Got off along, you know yeah. um we were in hysterics in this like interview <laughs> In inverted commas. And also, I'd never met anyone who swore that much. Okay. And, you know, so the fact that I was kind of in a job interview and we were just like swearing like sailors and being, you know, probably a bit childish and uncouth, who I can't really remember. But anyway, to cut a long story short, so they, they took me on as an intern to write radio commercials, which looking back now, like a 19 year old, like yeah. art school dropout, would you want them to radio commercials? Anyway, um, so. I started doing that and it turns out that I didn't really have a natural aptitude for writing radio commercials, okay. although I did write a couple of bangers. Um, okay. But mostly they were like stuffed with double entendres and it was just like me rehashing Monty Python sketches. Right. Uh, you know, basically. But we also made the, uh, the commercials in the studio. So um, that looked far more interesting to me. And the guy, um, it was just me and another guy in the department. And so I was 19 and I think he was about 29. And he was really good at writing commercials, but he also loved being in the studio. But he was kind of smart enough and generous enough to sort of let me take over the studio side of Mm. things. So I was like recording and mixing all the commercials. And then, you know, everyone could see that I was kind of very, very good at that. Yeah. uh, Or comparatively so. Mm. And so, you know, then um, they started to get me to make jingles for the station. And then, you know, I'd be putting together programs. Yeah. And then, you know, eventually I had my own show and all this kind of stuff. Um, all of which was great fun, but I'd actually a lot of people work in radio because they love radio. And I wasn't one of those people. Like mm. the, the radio side of it was not really of any interest to me. And, you know, we weren't playing 
you know, I was a raver at the time, so I was kind of only really listening to, this was the early 90s, only yeah. really listening to, to electronic music. And, right. you know, I was very kind of into that scene. Yeah. And I was working in a radio station that played classic hits from the 60s, 70s and 80s. Mm. So although um, looking back, it did actually, I did get to discover a whole bunch of music that mm -hmm. I probably would have dismissed, you know, but a lot of which was very good. Mm -hmm. You're going to regret asking this question, aren't you? No, no, no. Uh, <laughs> um, so anyway, uh, <laughs> no, I just on. thought of something else. Uh, 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 we worked with Jeremy Kyle as well, which uh, which always amazes people. So Jeremy Kyle, him off the telly, he also uh, worked at this radio station. Right. Um, and, and me and him became good friends. And uh, I, I don't know him now and I've no idea what he's like now, but he was... Okay. Uh, he was really, really good to me. Uh, and in fact, he let me sleep in his spare bedroom for five months. Oh, wow. When I was uh, between houses, let's oh. say. So, um, but that's, an, that's another story. But anyway, through him, another guy, Mike Marsh, who he had a show on Sundays. Right. And he was, he, again, he was about 30, so he was a bit older than me. But he was a very, very cool guy. Still is a very cool guy. And, you know, I had my show on Saturday nights. Jeremy had his show on Saturday lunchtimes. And Mike had his show on Sunday nights I think it was but anyway so you know we'd hang out and then you know Mike and I started hanging out and, and that sort of thing and I didn't really know what he did but he worked doing something in music in London during the week and then so this was all down in the in the southwest of England um, which is where I was at, at the time and Mike worked in London during the week and, and at the radio station in the southwest at the weekends and I remember going to the pub with him and this would have been about 1995, I think. And he took a phone call from his, like, London work. Yeah. And it was sort of along the lines of, yeah, he was kind of like, um, all right, so you two want to book me for two weeks. Oh, I'm away on holiday. Can you tell them, you know, I'll be back a week later Can, and, and we'll get them to do it then. And uh, so he sort of finished the call. I was like, what the fuck do you do? You've literally, like, you two in 1995 were the biggest band in the world. Yeah, yeah, you know? yeah. And... I was, I was like, what the fuck do you do? You've just told you two to wait for you. I was like, you need to tell me more about this yeah. this thing. And so um, he's like, well, I work in a mastering studio. I'm a mastering engineer. I was like, no, I'd never heard of it. So he said, do you want to just come up, you know, one afternoon? Yeah. Uh, just come and sit in the studio. So, so I did that. Um, he worked in a studio called The Exchange in Camden. And, uh, you know, so I came up and it's a room much like this, massive speakers, vinyl yep. cutting lathe, tape machines, you know, lots of, I mean, I guess there probably was a computer in there. Yeah. Uh, yeah, there would have been at that time. But, uh, you know, lots of analog gear and he was blaring out techno and, you know, and it just all looked just so fascinating and wonderful yeah. and so much better than making radio ads. Yeah. So anyway, so, um, so I sort of said to him, you know, well, uh, I just want to be you, please. You know, how, how do I how do I be you? And wow. and as people people don't come up to me and say how do I be you, Matt, but they do say how do I get into the, you know, how do I get into the industry? And yeah. you know, we all sort of say, oh, I don't really know, which is exactly what he said to me. But he said, you know, won't you look in the back of Music Week? You know, this is it's ninety five, so it's pre internet. Look in the back of Music Week and just see if there's any adverts, basically. You know, so I did that, and literally the next edition of Music Week, there was an advert for a trainee mastering engineer in a London studio, which the sort of times when you kind of think the universe is Fate sort of leading something. me down yeah. a path here. I mean, at the time I didn't, you know, I actually didn't think anything of it. You mm. know, I kind of assumed, oh, well, you know, I guess they're advertising all the time. So I went for that job. In actual fact, um, initially I came second. They took on, they wanted to take on a, a girl and it was between me and a, a girl and they, they wanted to sort of dilute the masculinity yeah. of the studio uh, but it didn't work out with her and they sort of came back to me you know after about three or four months and said you know are you still interested and I was still at the radio station done the kind of writing to all the studios that I could think of that I could find you know in the phone book mm -hmm. so I mean I'd written to like 30 studios and kind of got two letters and this was all letters obviously back then yeah pre-email got two letters back of rejection and that was it uh so you know when um porky's mastering is the name of the studio uh, that i started at mm -hmm. and we won't go into the name but uh yeah so at the age of 21 i um packed my bags and yeah moved to london and started working right in the middle of soho in uh, in a mastering studio yeah. you know essentially as a as a trainee yeah yeah amazing what was the question <laughs> 
<laughs> well, yeah, I guess it, you did answer it. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, listen, yeah, you can cut all this. You can edit it. Yeah. I no, saw an no. advert. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so that was the summary of that. No, it's, it's, it's nice to hear the background, actually, because, yeah, I think so many of these things just seem to fall to chance, you know. And, yeah. and who knows, like you said, maybe if that ad didn't, exist yeah. then then you yeah. would have gone down a completely or if he hadn't have had the phone call or exactly I mean there's there's so many like sliding doors moments mm. Um, mm. but yeah I mean definitely with mastering you know I've been doing it now for 23 years and you know there are so many times when it's been difficult and you know I think quitting would have been really easy and I've had you know lots of people suggest I look into other things do you know what I mean really yeah you know when you've been between studios or to get to where I am today has been a sort of grueling path I mean don't get me wrong I'm not you know I'm not like complaining at all but um it's sort of taken its toll in all sorts of ways I don't know why I've just been like a dog with a bone about it and yeah I mean I guess you kind of have to to sort of get anywhere it's yeah. never just going to be, or maybe it is for some people, you know, a nice linear path. I mean, you know, even in this building, you know, I look around and there's some people that are kind of, you know, things are starting to happen for them, and but maybe not as quickly as they'd like, and they've never worked anywhere else. Do you know what I mean? It's like, you should fucking hell, you should have seen, like, the fucking, the places that I've had to schlep through to get to Metropolis. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? And you literally, you've never worked anywhere else. Do you know what I mean? You don't know how lucky you are. Yeah. Yeah, but that's that's another story. Yeah, no, it's... Um, I think you couldn't be in a business or field like this, you know, like mastering or even just some parts of the music industry if you didn't love it because there's a yeah. million reasons not to do it. Yeah, yeah, know? yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, the long hours, the low pay. Yeah, <laughs> all of that, really. And, the, um, uh, yeah. Yeah, and, and future one, uncertainty. I mean, you know, exactly, exactly. And um, yeah, I think I was mentioning to you when I first met you. I um, so I I studied accounting. Mm, so yeah. um, I mean, it's it's quite lucrative, definitely compared yeah, yeah. to doing music. You yeah, know? yeah, and um, but then it's just like what really makes you tick, you know. And it, yeah. if it's something that doesn't, it's just you got to think, you know, is that really worth it? Yeah. The, the kind of pay aspect, but... Well, and I have to say this, I've repeated this. This is a bit of advice that my dad gave me, and I've repeated this countless times, including in other podcasts. So this is not original content, but I'm going to say it again right. anyway. Yeah. Which is when I, when I was on the dole, you know, before I got the internship at the radio station, you know, during a sort of dark night of the soul, I was talking to my old man and, and sort of saying, you know, maybe I should just, you know, suck it up, go and do a degree in accountancy or mm, fucking economics yeah. or, or whatever, you yeah. know, something sensible and get a job, yeah. you know, just so I have a job and a career. Yeah. And he said to me, you're going to be working for at least the next 50 years and you're going to be working probably five days a week, mm, every mm, week mm. for the next 50 years. It's great to have money, you know, and money will take a lot of pressure off you. But if you don't do something you love, it's going to kill you. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Because yeah. you're going to, you give your life to this, you know, yeah, or yeah, such yeah. a huge part of it. And, yeah, yeah, yeah. And that's always been, I, I think that's a, you know, a great piece of advice. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. And it's actually, it's amazing to hear that from a parent because I, I think that's not, always like I really do believe all parents you know whatever the circumstance do want the best for their kids sure. you know yeah but that's not always the advice they get also yeah. coming from a place of love yeah, yeah just because they they know what a struggle it can be yeah but I think I've definitely come to that conclusion that it's you you just have to just blindly follow the thing that excites you most and, yeah. then, and then just hope that you'll end up in the right place and we'll see how that <laughs> turns out. But, yeah. Yeah. I think as well, as long as you enjoy the journey. Yeah. You know, that's the other thing that, you know, that I've realised. And obviously you don't always enjoy every bit of the mm-hmm. journey, but if you're only ever looking to the future, to some place that you're trying to get to, then you might miss out on quite a lot of stuff along the way mm. you know and also 
I mean, when you get to where you think that you wanted to get to, it, you know, I mean, it's kind of like if you're like climbing a range of hills, you know, you think, okay, if we just got to get to the top of that hill and you get to the top of that hill and you realise there's a bigger hill behind it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, and I think it's kind of, life is sort of like that anyway. Yeah. So, I mean, that's, I think that's the other important thing is to kind of, you know, also, I mean, yeah, just enjoy it and not just be tormented about where you're at relative to where someone else is at. Oh, yes. Yeah. I mean, that's, you know, I've been like really motivated my whole career, you know, what I do is there's a lot more people doing it now, but even so, it's still quite a small field. And, mm -hmm. you know, there's always been, you know, engineers that, you know, I'd look up to, to Mike Marsh or to Paul Solomons or Ray Staff or, you know, out in the States to the big names like Doug Sachs and, and Bob Ludwig and all those kinds of things. And not saying that I've reached the level of any of those, you know, or Greg Cowby or Ted Jensen. I mean, actually, there's loads of names, you know, or even, you know, in this building, like John or Stuart Hawks or whatever. Actually, it's quite motivating to sort of think if they can achieve that. Yeah. Now, Bob Ludwig's got 70 Grammys. I may not get 70 Grammys. I don't even know how many Grammys he's got. Wow. But it's like he's got like a table and it's just covered in Grammys. But... I'm not daunted by the fact and I kind of think, well, there's nothing too fundamentally different between us. Do you know what I mean? We're not like a different species and with hard work and application and like effort, do you know what I mean? Like I, I work at least as hard as anyone else doing this, mm -hmm. probably harder than most. I mean, maybe that's to make up for some detriment in like a lack of natural talent. But I think, yeah, more so, you know, there's no reason why you can't, attain those kind of goals I Definitely. mean that's not to say um, you know I'm sure I won't end up with 70 Grammys but do you know what I mean like I don't find that like crushing or a reason to to kind of turn mm. away I sort of embrace that to say well yeah well why not why not me yeah yeah, yeah. Uh, well that attitude is incredible and I think one that people really struggle to have you know and it's great that you can see that and then be motivated by it but a lot of people see that and then just like you said, let it crush them. Yeah. But like, I feel like unless it's motivating you, comparing yourself to others can often just be a waste of energy. But, but if can you can, be. yeah. Uh, like, I think if you can compare yourself to where you were, that's the yeah. only really good way to compare, you know, because. Yeah. yeah, that's very true. Yeah, because you can keep comparing to other people, but then if you think two years ago, where were you yeah. and, and what were you doing? And, and, Hopefully that's, yeah. you know, you, you've gotten somewhere that you're a bit happier or whatever it is. And, and then that's all there is, you know. And I think that's also a good way to try and stay humble as well, which, mm. you know, I mean, sometimes I struggle with that. I think probably sometimes everyone struggles with that. In fact, one of the great things about mastering I've found is that the minute you sort of think, yeah, I'm the boy. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, you know, I've got this. Then that's when the email comes in or the phone call comes in about the enormous fuck up that you've made that's like horrifically bad. Do you know what right. I mean? Like yeah. hubris um, catches up with you really fast, certainly yeah. doing this. Uh, yeah. But yeah, I mean, I think also uh, it's a good way to stay humble. It's sort of yeah. looking back and, and, you know, if you're talking about like a career, you know, yeah. career possibly is a horrible word, but, you know, for, for want of a better word, mm. you know, there are times, you know, and I get it, you know, when I'm working late, like we were talking about earlier, you know, I'm going to be here all night. Mm. You know, my family's at home, I'm not seeing them. Do you know what I mean? I'm sort of, but I'll be working on projects. And if you'd have said to me like 10 years ago, you're going to be doing this record, this record and this record tonight, you know, I would have bitten both your arms off you know yeah. so if I'm sat here tonight thinking oh God, you know do you know what I mean it's kind of like well Look actually and, yeah. this is what you want and you know yeah. there's plenty of people that would happily oh. take your seat so many so many exactly <laughs> exactly I feel like we could chat for like three hours Matt because like yeah, we haven't even got yeah, to the first question yeah, yeah. yet this, this always happens <laughs> this always happens I think it's you it's just like uh, I mean I'm I'm quite enjoying this chat. Yeah, yeah. I'm like I yeah. should probably get to some of the yeah. Should we, should we try a stuff? question? But yeah, okay. Yeah, let, yeah. Let's give it a try. Right. So, <laughs> the first thing, which was uh, defining what you do. So, what is mastering? Yeah. For, oh, right. For <laughs> how much space have you got on the hard drive? <laughs> <laughs> in one sentence. In right. one sentence. In one sentence. Mm -hmm. um, 
I don't know if I can do it in one sentence, but essentially, well, I mean, it's kind of developed. I can't do it in one sentence. I'm just going to talk. <laughs> <laughs> You're just going to have to edit. Go on. All right. <laughs> so what is mastering? Right. So, I mean, basically, I think you have to talk about how it started. No, you do. You okay. do. In, in order to understand what it is. And this will all make sense when I've finished or it won't, but I'll have at least finished. <laughs> <laughs> which on. is um so i mean initially recordings were made to well they're made to wax cylinder and, and then made to, to kind of uh, vinyl disc type technologies so they weren't using vinyl but you know to spinning disc like we have on the vinyl cutting lathe you know so it, essentially the first mastering engineers were the recording engineers and there wasn't any mixing there wasn't any intermediary stage you know, you'd have the band in a room around a mic and if the trumpet player is going to play a solo and it needs to be a bit louder, then the trumpet player stands up and moves nearer to the mic and plays the solo. And that's all captured on a spinning disc cutting lathe and that's mm -hmm. kind of how records were made. But then, obviously, with the sort of advent of tape-based recording technology, you can't re-record on a, on a cutting lathe. You know, you're cutting a groove from start to finish and you can't kind of go back and drop in and, and that sort of thing. Mm -hmm. But once a magnetic tape became a, a sort of format, then it, that opened up the doors um, much more for, uh, you know, for overdubbing and for re-recording and dropping in and all that sort of yep. stuff. So the recording process changed and it became a two-step process where you had people kind of recording you know, and mixing to tape, yeah. you know, and then someone transferring that onto the master disc. And so that is sort of what mastering was born out of. Um, and because you've got a change of format there, there was a, a certain skill involved to, you know, sort of best cut the record that kind of, you know, gave the best sound reproduction of what was on the tape. Right. And the two things sounded differently sounded different and so then to partly combat this uh, sort of change in sound that's when technology started to develop and eqs were invented i guess and sort of brought in and so the the sort of disc cutting engineer then had the opportunity to actually alter the sound of what he or she was cutting to then try and best okay so you've got this on the tape but if i add you know a db at 8k to the second to last track then it sounds a bit more like what was ah, on the tape when we're okay. playing it back off the vinyl disc. You know, so the the sort of mastering thing then went from being a sort of purely kind of technical transcription thing to, okay, well, there's a degree of creativity creeping in to try and present to the consumer um, something that better represents what everyone was hearing in the studio. It's still those two kinds of things, really. You've still got a technical aspect to it whereby you're delivering something from the professional world into the consumer world, mm -hmm. you know, and you, whether it's cutting a vinyl record or whether it's preparing a set of WAVs for, uh, you know, for, yeah, for streaming <clears throat> or, for, or for download or whatever, preparing a CD master, you know, there's a certain technical set of criteria that you either need to adhere to or, you know, there's good practice and all that kind of thing. And then there's still to a certain extent, a creative aspect to it whereby you have a certain amount of tools that you can slightly alter the way the material is presented and slightly alter the way the listener may kind of perceive what they're hearing. So mm -hmm. you can kind of frame the recordings in a certain way. So it's it's sort of this this kind of marriage of, of technical and, and creative. Mm -hmm. and, and I guess the only other thing is there's a, a certain degree of sort of QC with it as well, which is... Actually, there's something else as well, I've just thought. In terms of, we had it today on this album that um, uh, that I was doing earlier today. There was, a, there was a click in one of the mixes, for example. So, you know, I, I sort of took it out, but then also he phoned up the mix engineer and said, we've got a click at this point in time. Mm -hmm. You know, do you want to just have a look in the mix and see, you know, if you want to Take or can yeah. fix it in the mix? You know, and that, this mix has been listened to God knows how many times, you know, and it's... It's mm. slipped through the net because, you know, the artist, the mix engineer, they're focusing on so many things that, you know, sometimes a second... It can be missed, yeah. Yeah, it's like if you're writing a, 
document or you know a, 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 a bit of text yeah exactly yeah. yeah and and you've been looking at it you've read it a thousand times yeah. and if someone else just says oh yeah that mm. you know commas in the wrong place whatever mm. so there's that and then I think you know probably something that it's, I've only started realizing in the last few years is to a certain extent we are delivering a bit of confidence as well so you know if you if you master your album with John Davis for example or many other yeah. wonderful engineers they've worked on a hell of a lot of great Music, sounding yeah. records you know mm. a hell of a lot or me i mean i worked on at least 20,000 records at least <sighs> that's crazy at, so <laughs> there's a sort of degree of of kind of experience and overview there mm. that we have that that is greater than any non-mastering engineer and that's not being arrogant or no, saying yeah. you know i'm not talking about like golden ears or 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 any kind of nonsense like that but yeah. just in terms of, you know, we have a certain perspective that is quite unique. And so if you come to me and I say those mixes are fucking great, mm. they probably are. Mm. And if I say, you know what, that there's one mix on this album and it's just, you know, for me, it's not like at the same <clears throat> level for these reasons as the, as the rest of the record. You don't have to agree with me yeah. and and I could be wrong. I'm not yeah. saying I'm always right, but it's coming from a, a sort of position of a great deal of experience. So, mm -hmm. that, you know, so, so there's kind of that kind of thing as well. Mm -hmm. So that is really what we do. Okay, yeah. Well, I mean, some of the things that you said kind of sounded like mixing, you know, like uh, it, when you're when you've got a recording and you're treating it in a way that you want it to sound like it was in, in the studio or whatever it is. But there's obviously a difference in, in it's not done in a, or you do that on the, the kind of end last yeah. wave of it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, it's, it's, it's very similar to like grading in, um, in picture, you know, in like movies and stuff. Mm. You know, like this footage here, you know, this is shot. I can't reshoot this yeah i can't grade it either that's not what i do <laughs> but someone who can do that yeah. can take that and by playing about with contrast and mm. you know filters and, and whatever else they do mm. they could present it in a way that might help to skew the viewer's perspective on how they're supposed to feel when they watch this mm. right and that's that's kind of how i view what we do you know how can we just help the listener get into the right headspace for mm. this record, you mm. know, because at the end of the day, recording is about emotion, right? Mm. You know, that's the only, that's actually the only thing that matters in a recording. Yeah. Is have you successfully communicated the emotion yeah. to the listener? Yeah. Because if they're feeling it, then they're going to be digging it. Mm -hmm. And if they're not feeling it, then mastering you know, isn't going to change that you know that's kind of the creative aspect that we're trying to to just dig into and just mm. just kind of help you know or in the same way like another analogy mastering engineers love an analogy as well mm. if you take a, a a painting you know someone's done a painting picasso did paintings and then he'd take them to his framing mm guy or, or possibly lady I don't know who it was and they'd select a frame and frame the painting and then it's going to get hung in a gallery and someone's going to choose you know the spacing between yeah, the yeah, paintings yeah. and the lighting yeah. and and that kind of thing mm. um that's a good analogy actually yeah I, I do quite like that okay. yeah okay yeah so we'll use the that scene, one. But yeah. yeah yeah no that's good that's good so when you start a master is there are you always following the same steps or what's your process when you do that yeah, it's sort of at a basic level. You kind of have a listen and, um, you know, have a play with it and see where you end up. You know, it's, it, it, that's my basic process. <laughs> yeah, it's just, that's specific. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah I'm, I'm very professional. Um, but, you know, it, it sort of depends on, you know, I like to get people in, you know, work on a lot of albums. So, if, you know, if it's an album, then I'll, I'll load up the session of all the mixes, you know, and then normally I'll just be kind of flicking through them whilst we're having a chat and... Firstly, just getting everyone comfortable in the room, you know, mm. so make sure everyone's nice and relaxed. Um, but also they're hearing stuff, you know, music that they're familiar with coming out of the speakers that they aren't familiar with, you know, just mm. to kind of, mm -hmm. yeah, just, just get everyone relaxed. And also um, it's kind of good for me to, you know, sort of listen at a more kind of macro overview level initially okay. before kind of diving in. And, yeah. you know, if you've 
put the microscope on something too quickly, then mm. you may get lost in the detail and, and sort yep. of miss the bigger picture. And then whilst I'm doing that, I'll be kind of having a chat to sort of see, you know, just to find out a bit about the record, you know, the process behind it. Because normally me doing that for 20 minutes gives... Usually, I'm pretty good at this now in terms of... I then usually know kind of how they want the record to sound, you know, okay. from what they've said and from what they've brought in. You know, I'll sort of mark maybe kind of three or four best-sounding, what I think are the best-sounding mixes, you know, and then I'll just kind of dive in and, and just start working on, you know, one of those, pick the best one and uh, just kind of have a play if they've got any references, mm. uh, their own reference listening versions or anything else. Yeah, yeah, you know, yeah. We'll sort of go through those and then just yeah kind of just a a b it with them and yeah yeah okay well that kind of um ties into the next question which was like when someone approaches you for a mix what do you expect from them like uh so do you usually ask for a few different types of mixes or no not at all no i no. mean I, no i for me personally my general view is we're subservient to the mix, you know. Um, the mix is where 80% of the sound of the record is yeah. decided. Mm -hmm. Sometimes more, mm -hmm. sometimes 90% or whatever. So I don't necessarily feel that me coming in and then like changing, trying mm. to change a whole bunch of stuff in the mix is the right approach. Sometimes mm -hmm. it is, you know, sometimes, but it, that's rare. You know, for me, it's kind of like you mix the record till... You're as happy with it as you can be. Yeah. Tell me any bits that you aren't happy about mm. and let's go from there. Yeah. You know, yeah. and then that gives me a good reference point as to if you've mixed, you know, or had a record mixed and it sounds this way, mm. then I'm assuming that you like that. You yeah. Know, unless you've told me you don't. Yeah. So that gives me a good benchmark, good barometer to work yeah. to. Um, because the other thing as well is, you know, I don't, I'm a big fan of like records just having their own. Character. personality yeah. character yeah. you know I'm not trying to make everyone sound the same mm. um, things can sound however they want mm. ultimately it's it's only music we don't need to be kind of beset by a whole bunch of rules or, yeah. or ideologies unless we want to be mm -hmm. if I work on four different records in a day they could all sound wildly different mm. um, and and often do and you know different clients have I mean you'll often hear me like sort of stomping around the corridors just saying like why can't they all fucking agree do you know what I mean like like someone will be like that's too loud and then you'll do the next record you do you'll make louder than the yeah. previous one and they'll say oh that's too quiet and you're like what, what? you know <laughs> there's too much bass and you're like but there's not as much bass as the job I just did and yeah. they you know felt yeah, yeah, there wasn't yeah. enough bass do you know what I mean so mm. it's kind of like so actually it's it's all it's very subjective it's very personal yeah. and you know you kind of just have to run with that really yeah 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 so then I guess you'll get their final master and their, oh, sorry, final mix. Yeah. And then um, do you, so you like having reference tracks. Does that help you? Um, for me, uh, it's, I mean, we do ask for them here at Metropolis. In terms of listening to other records, I, I will. Um, I don't always think it's helpful. It, okay. It kind of depends. It can help to give us a sort of general flavour. Yeah, I mean, what's really important is hearing, like, if there's reference versions. You know, I've had it in the past where we've just got the, the sort of pre-master mix and you kind of do something and then they come back saying, oh, it's, you know, it's not as much bass as, as in the mix. And you're like, well, I added quite a lot, mm. you know, and it turns out they've been listening to actually, a, you know, a slightly different version, you know, that's kind of been limited or, or whatever it is. Mm -hmm. You know, so I, I try and make sure I've got all the material that everyone's been listening to. Yeah. But yeah, you know, I will listen to other records if, yeah. if people think that that's going to help us. Yeah. But like I say, I'm a big fan of making the record that we're making and yeah. not getting too hung up on other records that other people made at another time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, that's a good point. That's a good point. And then, so you mentioned, you know, adding bass or something like that. So then, I guess, is that the EQ process? So yeah. So you do a bit of that. Yeah. And uh, is there like a a chain of things that you add or is it always completely different? Yeah, I mean, you know, essentially the tools that we're working with are, are EQ, compression, limiting and kind of stereo image processing. Yeah. They're very, very occasionally you might use something a bit more tweaky than that. Yeah. But um, it's very, very rare for me. You okay. Know? Um, it's, 
you should be able to get it all said with yeah. those um, yeah. like 99% of the time. That's actually so helpful because I think mastering can just be something that sounds really like mystical and you don't really know what exactly is happening. But I think breaking it down into what you just mentioned of um, terms that, you know, most people in production or whatever have heard of, yeah. just, yeah, it makes it seem a bit more accessible and... Um, yeah, yeah, I, and it makes a bit more sense. Oh yeah, but it's still yeah, yeah it's it's really difficult. Yeah. and only use a professional. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> at Metropolis. Um, yeah, no, no, it it, it kind of is, yeah. um, and and often less is more. But you know, and in, then in terms of, for me, there's no order of doing things. I mean, there's there's kind of good practice. You know, yeah. you're going to be if you don't have the limiter at the end, you know, if you are using limiting, um, it's probably in the wrong place. But, you know, maybe it isn't. You know, and there's analogue and there's digital and, uh, you know, there's kind of ways and means and, and different ways of combining things. And, and you know, the other thing as well is, you know, like if you look at the, the Sontech EQ that's, that's by your kind of mm -hmm. left, you know, by your laptop there, mm -hmm. you know, if we add a dB at 2K on that, it sounds different from adding a dB at 2K on the one above it, which sounds mm. different from adding a dB at 2K on the one above that, right. et cetera, et cetera. You know, yeah. everything has its own sound. And then when you're building up a, a sort of chain of processes, mm -hmm. then they all interact, you know, they, uh, you, uh, sort of with each other as well. So, yeah. and then you swap the order of things and that changes things. So mm -hmm. it's it's kind of just about sort of finding the processing that mm, best mm, mm. suits the track, you know, which can be a whole bunch of stuff. It can be very, very little. And in, yeah. in fact, often you can achieve, achieve a huge amount and, you know, have clients be absolutely blown away by how you fundamentally changed the sound of this record for the good. And you think, you know, it's like one EQ and a limiter and, that, you know, a, just one dB at 3K. Wow. You know, that's, wow. That's it. Do you know what I mean? But yeah. if, you do, if you do the right thing, yeah. then it can have a big difference and, yeah. and can be all the difference. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. And it's not necessarily about, you know, digging in. Mm -hmm. um, sometimes it is. I've, I've spent all day doing the most comprehensive EQs, you know, like super, super complicated stuff, uh, which is what that particular record needed. needed and it's yeah. just, yeah, it's just a case. This, when I say, you know, I have a play around with it, you know, it's about finding, yeah. finding you know the the processing the sound yeah. that that resonates with the with the mix you know um but yeah it's it's good knowing that the tools obviously there's a million com um, combinations of how you use them but aren't something crazy that no one's ever heard of really no, Cause, not cause, yeah because you often hear of all these like specific like mastering plugins i don't even know what's in there um, me neither but yeah okay well me that's <laughs> no i mean there's yeah there's a lot of there's a lot of things that it, like end with like isa on the end do you know what i mean there's a lot of maximizers yeah. and yeah, exciterizers yeah. and all this kind of stuff and mostly that stuff's like really fucking bad i okay. mean not like yeah yeah, yeah. you know it, I take that back. Mostly, the stuff is to be used with caution. Mm -mm. Let's say you know because very little of it will be on the great sounding records that you know and love. Yeah, that's no, good know, to know. To be honest, to know. yeah, yeah. Also, so now that we've got so many different formats of music, mm. is the process vastly different depending on you know is if it's for vinyl if it's for digital and I don't even know what else people ask for now uh I mean uh, sort of yes and no really you know I mean I think you know with my approach is to try and usually is to is to kind of get one sort of master sound and then derive the other stuff from that if okay. you see what I mean yeah yeah you know so you kind of you limit the amount of questions that you're asking the client not because you know you're trying to hide things from them but mm. just in terms of you know let's let's get to the point you know with the client that we have one kind of approved set of masters that mm -hmm. they understand you know they've had the mix and these are the approved masters and they can see how they relate and that's everything else then is is kind of going to derive from those and mm -hmm. and and however we sort of subtly adjust those whether we're cutting you know vinyl lacquers whether we're running cassette masters mm -hmm. you know whether we're doing you know sort of streaming specific masters or or whatever it's all easy to understand that it's it's derived and it's kind of like a secondary almost technical part of the process mm -hmm. that we're taking care of 
that means that the client doesn't need to have a whole bunch of masters that they then feel that they need to approve and, you know, cross-reference the sound against oh, yeah. each yeah, other. Yeah. Do you see what I mean? And this is not, like I said, this is not to um, to sort of remove the client from any decision-making, uh, but it's, it's um, simply you don't want at this stage to be having a whole bunch of different mm. masters. And, do you know what I mean? Yeah. Because you're trying, everyone's trying to get the record over the line and... They don't actually need what I normally say to people is, you know, I'm going to cut your lacquers for your for your vinyl record. You don't actually need to know if I'm going to stick a roll off at 25 hertz in the bottom end, yeah, and narrow it below 100 hertz. Don't worry about that. Yeah, it's kind of meaningless. All you yeah. need to worry about is you're going to get your test pressings, play them. If you're happy, then great. Yeah, you know, if you're not happy, come back. We'll have another look at it. Do you know mm-hmm. what I mean? Like. Mm-hmm. Don't worry, we've got this, you yeah. know, from, from the point of the client approving that sort yeah. of central master, if you yeah. know what I mean. Yeah, 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 that's that's good. And I'm sure it, it kind of gives the artist or the label or whatever some peace of mind because, you know, it's your job at the end of the day. It's not their job to understand all the... the yeah, exactly. And, the, yeah. It, you know, we can, we can talk about, you know, bit depth and flavours of dither if you want, <laughs> but... Or you could just know that, uh, you know, I've listened to all the different flavours of dither and I've picked the appropriate one. Do you know what I mean? Mm, mm. But we can talk about it if you want, but Mm. your eyes will glaze over fairly quickly. Well, is that... (laughs) Actually, now that you bring that up... Well, maybe not your eyes, but, you know. (laughs) (laughs) For some people, for some people, but... uh... Actually, you know what? We won't go yeah, into that. No, because... Hey, listen, we could do the dinner, the dinner <laughs> edition. Well, yeah, because uh, I mean, obviously, as, a, as in a mix, you, you so dither is just a slight sound, isn't it, or like a, a no- noise? Yeah. So, so dither is uh, here. You go. I mean, dither, oh, no. dither is in deep. So, when you are changing the bit depth of a recording, mm-hmm. and when you are decreasing it. You should dither. So what happens is um, if you're mixing in your workstation, um, you know, you're going to be mixing it. uh, It's going to be working internally at 32-bit float or uh, 64-bit float in terms of the internal maths. And in order to get that out, um, you're almost certainly going to want to go to 24-bit or 16-bit. And so you've got a bit length reduction there. And... If you don't dither, you are essentially chucking away all the information that that doesn't fit in the reduced right. word length, right? But you can, by adding randomised noise to the least significant bit, <laughs> which is the bottom bit, yeah. and that is what dither is, okay. then you recover some of that lost information. So if you're going from 24-bit to 16-bit, if you apply dither when you are making that mm-hmm. change, then... Instead of just losing the eight bits um, below sixteen, you know that would make up the twenty-four, mm-hmm. then you are recovering some of that information right. and you are reducing the amount of distortion. Okay, okay. Well, no, I think that was a fairly succinct <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> answer. Yeah, no, that's helpful. That's helpful. One thing I was going to ask, and I feel like. You're going to say it depends, but... <laughs> That's my uh, answer to everything. Yeah, oh, we've had plenty of that from a lot of people. But when you get a mix, is mm. there... Uh, are you looking for certain things across the board? For example, like a certain like minus something dB that you no, always not, like to not have? Not particularly. Or... I mean, so so what I ask for, um, you know, these are, these are good general guidelines. But yeah. if you're working with someone specifically, you know, A and mastering engineer and yeah. they say I would like you to supply me with this it's probably best to do that regardless of any you know even if it conflicts with something else I, I mean by all means ask them why they're specifying things but yeah. if they've got you know a valid reason then and it helps their workflow mm-hmm. then it's better to work with each other than against but in terms of like general good practice mm-hmm. you want to output 24 bits uh, there is an argument for outputting 32 bit floating point files I don't mind either way um, mm-hmm. it's probably better to not output 16 bit you know and there's there's kind of no reason you know data is cheap um, yeah. so if we have big file sizes then it you doesn't, know, it doesn't matter particularly matter. Yeah. these days um, output at the sample rate that you mixed at so there's no valid reason to sample rate convert 
at the end of the mix. If your session's running at 48K, just output it at 48K. Okay. Um, if it's running at 96, output at that. In terms of kind of peak values, if you're outputting 24-bit, then you've got, you know, an incredibly low noise floor. You've got a massive dynamic range. You don't really need to peak sort of higher than minus 3 dB full scale. Okay. Um, I sort of say, you know, minus 6 to minus 3 is absolutely fine. Okay. You know, you're not getting anything more yeah. by going higher than that. Mm. And it just builds in a little degree of tolerance, you know, for the odd kind of sort of spiky yeah, yeah. tambourine or something. Yeah. Well, make the mix sound as good as you can. It's probably the best bit of advice that yeah. anyone could ever have. Yeah. You know, don't don't sort of think, oh, well, this is getting mastered, so... It'll be you know, fixed in the uh, Yeah, they'll, yeah. they'll fix this. And like I said to you earlier, you know, if there's something that you can't get right, you know, mm-hmm. sometimes people are like, I don't know if this vocal is too loud or too quiet. You know, have that conversation with the, you know, with the mm. with the next person in the change. You know what I mean? Make it a collaboration. Everyone has the same goal. You mm. know, we all want your record to be as good as for you to be as happy as possible. Mm. In terms of mix bus processing, see for me, I, you know, I'm not like super duper fussy. I sometimes see people like, you know, oh, you can't put anything on the mix bus, and, and and of course you can do whatever you want. If someone says, you know, they've got a limiter on the mix bus i'd normally ask to have a version without as well yeah which yeah. i'd probably like to use but i'd at least like to have the option yeah um, and yeah. also uh, the sort of compare and contrast but you know compression and that sort of thing sometimes people are like oh you know i slam this through an ssl compressor but i'll take it off because you'll have um, oh, yeah. something better at your end it's like well all right, I'll tell you what, give me a version with and without because, you know, if you've mixed into it and you've got a certain thing going on, it might take me ages just to get to that point. And I may never get to that point. Do you know what I mean? And it might actually be that that's really good. So, Mm -hmm. you know, Give me give me some options, you know. Give me okay. one with and without. Yeah. And I think that's about it, really. You yeah. know, for for me, I mean, okay. yeah. You know, I try not to make it too complicated. Yeah. Hopefully. Yeah. No, that's good. That's good. And um, the mix bus processing for anyone that doesn't know is just adding effects onto the master yeah. of your uh, exported finished mix. Yes. I guess. Yeah. So um, so yeah, interesting that you don't mind. Um, leaving something on there. Uh, another thing that I um, I was listening to this talk from uh, Mandy Parnell on, on the weekend and and uh, she's another great mastering engineer for those who don't know and she um, she seemed to really get frustrated in about the like loudness argument and yeah. um, I wonder how you feel about that but I think you just mentioned before that some people think it's too loud sometimes but um it seems like you know for for the people around me loudness is it's just like is that the feedback that you get most often and is that frustrating? I, I, I mean is it frust- it's frustrating at times yeah and you know I mean if you know if I listen to I'm in my mid 40s so I remember, you know, the great sounding records of the late 80s and the great sounding records of the early 90s, you know, before digital limiting. And, you know, a lot of those records are records that I really like the sound of, mm. but isn't the late 80s anymore. It's not the early 90s. You know, it, we kind of are where we are. And um, for me, I just try and do the best I can and and hit the mark for the client. Mm-hmm. Whenever I'm doing a first pass at something, I'll make it as loud as I think it can go. Mm-hmm. And, you know, sometimes that's too loud. Sometimes it's not loud enough. Mm-hmm. Usually it's about right. Mm. And, uh, you know, there's a certain... You get a certain intensity. You know, the, the thing about loudness and the way people are kind of listening to music now in terms of streaming and that sort of mm-hmm. thing is um, there's a, so much adaptive loudness normalisation that you can't be the kind of loudest record anymore in the same way that you could like 10 15 years ago yeah. you know the the difference between something that's very very loud and something that's not very very loud you know when you're listening on you know your streaming service isn't that great mm, mm, mm. but what the difference is is, is kind of in a, a sort of intensity mm. you know so something that hasn't been dynamically reduced a lot is going to have sort of more punch in the drums you know more snap in the snare um and more space in it and mm. something that has been you know squashed a lot yeah, is going to yeah. have a lot more intensity 
but less Lose space that. and yeah. kind of less dynamic. um yeah less less sort of dynamic in in the rhythm mm. and you kind of say globally that one is better than the other mm. you know it's it's sort of horses for courses and mm. and like I said it's all subjective and you know for the record I'm sure Mandy isn't saying that globally uh, you know you know everything yeah, is, is, yeah. is fucked or whatever um <laughs> I know Mandy very well. She's yeah. amazing. Um, yeah. You know, and uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Always worth listening to. Yeah. Yeah. So I, you know, I know other engineers that like take a very principled stand. Yeah. About how, and it's almost like a badge of honor. It's like, how quiet can I make this? Do you know what I mean? Oh. Um, it's kind of like sort of some kind of like anti machismo, you know, and that's absolutely fine. You know, I mean, for me, I'm pretty busy. Yeah. yeah, I'm doing some good records and just trying to make them the, the best I can. And, you know, if the client's kind of smiling, you know, there, there are times when we get asked to do stuff that I don't think, you know, maybe sounds as good as, uh, you know, like an earlier version or whatever. Um, but they're but, really happy with it. Yeah, so, yeah, you know, I mean, uh, you know, I'm not like the god of how things should sound, you know. Uh, cool. No, that's that's helpful. So I think we've covered like most of what I wanted to talk about really with mastering, but we have a, just a couple of questions from our audience. Do so, we? Um, yeah, we do. We Amazing. Do. Um, so there was one from Darbush in Indiana. So mm. she asked, uh, what's the easiest and what's the hardest thing about mastering? Um, what's the easiest? The easiest thing is that I just get to sit down in this like amazing acoustic environment and yeah. like, Okay, so I'll tell you that um, I, say, I love questions like this. It's so much more interesting than dither, right? <laughs> so I used to like just spend my, you know, spend my youth seeking out, you know, new music. And, you know, if you're like, if you've got a record by Mudhoney, you're like, okay. And then, okay, so we need to check out Tad. We need to check out Nirvana, blah, blah, you know. Mm. You know, and, and, and just like exploring music and finding new things to listen to and, you know, now it literally comes to me. I just sit in this room and all this wonderful mm. music comes in and I listen to it in this wonderful environment. And then, you know, people like yourselves come and visit me, you know, wonderful, creative, interesting, kind, decent people come in and, you know, we talk about music and art and fucking life. Do you know <laughs> what I mean? And whilst listening to music. I mean, what's... It's, pretty sweet. <laughs> it's, it's not bad. It's not bad. Yeah. Um, and what was the, the hardest thing? I'm not... I guess the hardest thing. What is the hardest thing? I don't know. It's not that hard, really. I mean, it's that's good. It's tiring. That's... I've worked. I mean, yeah. I work hard. You know. I mean, there are times. You know, there are there are times. You know, when I kind of reach the end of my energy. You know, kind of like every sort of six months. You know, yeah. I kind of feel like if I don't stop and take a break, then, you know, actually, I may, you know, slip. <laughs> into do you the do void. that? Do you then yeah. take a break? Yeah, yeah, just, yeah, uh, just like, you yeah, know, like yeah. a couple of weeks off, you know. Yeah. Um, yeah. You'd need that, I'm sure. Yeah, 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 yeah. just, uh, you know, to kind of renew your energy levels and, you yeah. know, to put yourself in a different environment, different headspace, you know, because yeah. it's, I mean, it, it is relentless, you know, what we do just in terms of, you know, I mean, I've probably got, I don't know, at least 20 projects on the go any one time you know and Crazy. and everything's you know I mean everything's always late do you know what I mean it's like it's late before yeah. it gets to me yeah. and so you know I've usually there's a lot of plates spinning at balls juggling you know deadlines being broken mm. left right and centre mm. and yeah, you take a lot of pressure on yeah. uh, in, in doing that. Yeah. But, yeah. you know, I mean, yeah, I love it. That sounds... It's amazing. Yeah. <laughs> I, I, I love that, actually. I just... I love when I talk to people and they, like, genuinely love what they're doing. It's it's great. It makes me happy. And then we had a question from Sam Warren from London. So you kind of touched on it already, so probably don't need to spend too much time there, but it was just how much artistic input do you feel you have as a mastering engineer, if any? Yeah, well, I don't. Yeah, I don't know really. I don't know. I mean, I guess that's kind of more for others to judge. Mm. I mean, you know, what is interesting, and I don't know if this is really answering the question, but uh, like a, a lot of people come to me and they say, "I really like your sound." You know, you've got a real sound. I know when I see your name on the record, you know, it has a sound. And and what I'm trying to do is, I'm trying to do the best Not for every single that, record, yeah. and and you know, not be completely transparent because mm. everything's. You know, ultimately everything I do is filtered through the prism of my own hearing, mm. you know, and, and my own brain interpretations of what I'm hearing. 
but I'm not trying to have, you know, like a sound. A, a sound. Yeah. So, you know, that kind of thing, you sort of think, well, I don't, I mean, I guess I don't know. Mm. I, I, it, yeah. I don't know. I mean, yeah, there's, there's sort of degrees of, you know, I'd just like to think hopefully we've kind of helped the record on its way yeah. and, and made it a little bit more enjoyable for, for people to listen to. And if the client comes back, then they probably feel the same way. Yeah. Mm, good to know. Good to know. But yeah, I think that summarizes everything that cool. we wanted to talk about. So um, yeah, thanks again for oh, for welcome. joining me, Matt. It's been it's been lovely, and we we talked about a lot of things that I wasn't expecting to talk about. <laughs> but that's great. It's it's really nice to hear some some kind of um, more detailed insight. But yeah, cool. Thanks so much, and uh, hope it's not too late tonight but yeah, yeah that's, it's gonna be a late one tonight <laughs> okay. that's well, cool yeah, I'm, used to it. I'm used to it yeah it will be it will cool. be all right thanks so much yeah my bye. pleasure bye-bye